and welcome to Dark Guidance. I'm Chris. I'm Brian. I'm Wiley. I'm Mips. I'm Jack. And it's been a while, guys. Uh, you know, some stuff has happened. There's been a whole freaking year, I think, since we've done a cast. So it feels like it. I think, I think for me, was... the last cast we did with you, Chris, was uh, when we won the 2018 WTC. Fittingly. Shit. Oh, that would have been about four years ago now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not sure nothing has happened in the interim period, you know, between pandemic and other WTCs, but, you know, we might as well talk about it. So I suppose uh, there's some big news from you guys. I want to I know just briefly, what so what's what have Dark Gardens been doing? Where have you guys been? Real lifing, mostly. Grinding yeah. away at War Machine for a bit, but it's kind of hard to talk about it. And we're not going to talk about this in this cast, by the way, but, you know, there's the Mark IV stuff happening, kind of wanted more info. Kind of also just being a bit lazy. And again, real life. But Dark Guardians, yeah, you're on it, James. Now the focus of WTC out of the way. I think possibly it's something we can re-explore again. But Dark Guidance has always been uh, just whenever we fucking feel like it. So there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've missed it. I've missed the Aussie yeah. content. So. Cool, no, fair enough. Fair. Well, we needed some more Aussies on. James, you happen to be an Aussie, successful Aussie now, as it turns out. So here you are. Thank you. So without further ado, we're probably going to be discussing our WTC adventures and misadventures, because what better way to celebrate the end of edition than talking about how we all got drunk and uh, various stages of intoxicated in a foreign country? I don't think you guys have our team beat in terms of intoxication, but we'll talk about that later. We did come close. I agree you won, but we were, like, you guys were a solid green, and we were like a yellow verging on green kind of thing. I don't know. I, I really don't know about that, honestly. Our entire team was absolutely plastered on Sunday night of WTC. But, Chris, what happened last weekend? Was it, say, the WTC? Brian, did you go as well? I did. It's so weird that you'd ask that. I think I saw you there. Yeah, well, you know. I don't think people heard me. From my part, just want to say that uh, it was end of an era for us in terms of uh, a journey that was started about three years ago. And um, it was uh, obviously the pinnacle for me personally to be able to uh, play with the people on my team, which obviously happened to be James, Jack, Chris and Pete. Um, and I know we kind of played it down as much as we could, um, cause I didn't want to put any pressure on him about multiple times saying we didn't want to win it for James, but we all know that we wanted to win it for James. I mean, also for ourselves, but, um, just the way that it all come together, uh, and the whole two weeks, uh, getting home on back to Hobart on Sunday and having a couple of days to reflect at it. And I can honestly say that uh, it was a perfect two weeks. I don't think anything went wrong for us. Uh, and it just captivated the uh, the time and the effort and just the collaboration of work that all of us did. And just really proud of our results and more importantly, just proud of, um, you know, just everyone working together and supporting each other. And part of something that I will respect is something really special that happened from a WTC point of view, but more importantly, something really special from a from a group of friends who common interests and something that I'll carry with me for a very long time. So it's very special to be a part of it. Counterpoint while touching Whaley and before Jack probably gets into it, muscles and Brussels, nothing went wrong. You're telling me that? In the grand scheme, you know, we made a couple of wrong steps <clears throat> in terms of maybe some 
uh, some uh, dining experiences, but from a war machine WTC preparation and execution, I would say it was pretty much almost flawless. From yeah, that well said, Waylia. And no, sorry, no, no, go on, James. No, okay, no, no, no. just real quickly. Um, nice to have a bit of decorum on a podcast. Well said, Whale. Couldn't agree anymore. And but the one thing I did want to add is that when there were hurdles, I think we overcame them really well as a team, whether it was War Machine or not War Machine related. Mm-hmm. From things like covering matchups through to terrible meals through to people getting sick, but we've all had each other's back. It was uh, it was awesome from our team's perspective. And a special note to Jack to keep me on point because I did have a bit of a whinge trying to play these desecrated lists. I was quite mopey <laughs> in uh, was I was quite mopey in Germany. Oh yeah, and also we were giving you a lot of shit for uh, getting so obsessed with the Canadians. Well, you know, I mean, I knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of, of when, not if. So, you know. Fair, fair. There you go. So we might as well go into it, right? Basically, pre-travel prep, I'm going to say we did. And we kind of made it public, and it sort of came out when we were asking. It's like, we did a fuck ton of prep, probably more than anyone has done. And honestly, some of the most we've done just in general. I just, I just want to say from an inside-outside perspective, since I was part of the teams, but not generally in your team, I can't imagine a team more prepared and more deserving of the overall outcome of this of the last weekend, considering the amount of time and preparation you guys put into your matchups and practice. Like it was just insane the amount of games you guys were putting out each week. Yeah, but prepping. we also enjoyed it. We actually enjoyed oh. the process. Like we love it. Like like we're such good mates, right? That live all interstate and don't get to see each other much. It's a great excuse to catch up and play the game we love. So as much as it's a nice compliment, Brian, um, it was it wasn't exactly a big uh, a hard job. <laughs> it was an enjoyable. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't ever work, which was good. And I I remember saying to everyone about uh, <clears throat> from a personal touch, you know, me taking a bit of a break, uh, that I was going to enjoy every experience that we had. Um, and just to just to touch on exactly what James was saying, it was so good just. We obviously had a couple of interleague games with some of the other teams and we had games ourselves and and it was wonderful. Every time someone was going to play, majority was, was the war table, but we would always post up a link and, you know, everyone would join in and watch. And there's a lot to benefit from either playing the game or watching your buddies play the game because a lot of takeaways you can get from a particular matchup and seeing how things go. And, and then there were a lot of healthy discussions about you know, group problem solving and, and group thinking about how we're going to tackle things. And that's definitely what, what James pointed out, you know, in terms of covering each other's matchups. And, and then I think what was really awesome was that it kind of came to fruition, particularly uh, just skipping ahead, but it's just worth mentioning, particularly in that round five French game where uh, James and I were next to each other and I was playing in a circle and he was playing in the cricks. And uh, I, I feel sorry for the, our respective French opponents because the games weren't even close, but I just felt so prepared um, and uh, saw James execute so well as, as well in terms of, uh, you know, it was just really um, a, a pleasure to watch and, and I think really rewarding for our whole team and just that whole experience. Prior preparation prevents piss poor performance, as they say. <laughs> and that, I think that came Absolutely. through. So, geez, how many P's was, I was that? Six. <laughs> Uh, well, speaking of which, actually, of- I'm going to start this off. Whaley and James, you guys kind of started this team, did you not? Well, to be fair, we had a... So after, after 2018, um, we knew that uh, David and Jeff had indicated that we were going to have a time off. Um, and 
Uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the US, and James is obviously in the US. Um, he was at Harvard, he was in Boston, and Jay Larson and I uh, decided we we're going to go and see him. Uh, and we obviously caught up with Jake and Zosh as well. We had an amazing couple of days there in Boston. And, um, you know, James had had, uh, had played um, and indicated that he was certainly keen to come back. And so I think it was a, a, a good fit that to know that, um, you know, from the successful team in 2018, we had a couple of spots there that we needed to fill. And, um, you know, obviously James been a very close friend of mine had traveled prior to with James and just knew that he gets on very well um, and very well respected with our, our members of the team. And at the same time, uh, obviously I went with 2017 with Jack and I know he took some time off and he was keen to come too. So our concept about the team, and this was in was the idea obviously for, for 2020 um, that we were going to go to the WTC. And um, we essentially in, in, I think it was July of that, of, 2019, we, we we kind of made a commitment um, that if we could get it together, that, uh, that that James would come onto the team. And I'd already been talking to Jack, so I knew Jack was keen. COVID happened, obviously put a fork in all of it. But the beauty thing is that we all still kept our enthusiasm. We knew, well, one, not knowing how long the pandemic was going to happen, two, when the next WTC was going to happen. But we kept the chat alive, we kept the thread alive, and we were all definitely keen. Um, and then when the announcement was made, I think it was either late 2021 or early 2022 that um, that the WTC was going ahead. Then it was it was we were pretty much a lock in terms of the team that, that we were going to take. So um, just from there, it was just a matter of working out logistics, um, verifying that everyone was still keen and committed, um, and then uh, the hard work obviously started. Unfortunately, Jack couldn't make it to CanCon because uh, obviously COVID and other bits and pieces, but the rest of us made it. We obviously put a pretty good showing, uh, which was great, and that was really just the, the kind of the um, kind of the launch pad for us to just start supporting each other and building the momentum and feeding off each other's energy um, and starting to do our prep and and really hone in, you know, what kind of uh, what lists we're going to play. And some of us obviously our factions were pretty set. I know you and I, Chris, obviously from our casters, but yeah, I mean, it, it was yeah. a it. it it was a dream that we had three years ago and it was, and we, we kept the lights on, so to speak. And it was just wonderful. There was obviously a few doubts um, potentially because we always had this thought, maybe a change of edition and what that would look like, what that would mean for the event. We didn't even know. Uh, we ought to remember, don't want to harp on it too much, but the events that happened uh, in Eastern Europe at the start of the year, obviously put a big potential shadow over the whole thing. Um, so there were definitely a few questions in our mind about if this would happen um, as an event on its uh, in its entirety, and also would it happen for us? I know Pete went through some. Pete's had a very busy personal year, all going very well, but you know in terms of job and responsibilities, and so he had some times there where he wasn't sure he was going to be able to commit to the time that was required. Um, but we're just very fortunate that it all come together, and we're one. We were able to go. Two, it was Mark Three and the game that we'd obviously been preparing for for a long period of time, and then um, and then how, how we were able to how we we're able to just gel as a team and then perform at, at the actual event. Can I just piggyback that for a second as well? Just two things. Number one, I was gutted that uh, both the Ukrainians and also the Russians couldn't couldn't be there and had to send their apologies due to real life circumstances, and it just sort of makes you think like how lucky are we to be able to spend our time and money playing a game that we love with our mates in Europe? Like that's awesome. 
So that was a bit of a reality check. And then, uh, and then number two, uh, everyone knows my Marvel villain or superhero origin story. So I just was really appreciative to, to Whaley for being such a great friend and sort of giving me the, the chance to, to come full circle. And it's been a hell of a ride and I've loved every second of it. It's such an awesome team. Brian, I don't know. Can you can you give us almost the opposite side of the coin? Because you your team flipped and flopped a little bit, just in terms of people's availability, and also like I guess to be blunt, excitement for the game with all the changes up in the air. Yeah, we had a pretty different build for our team at the what was going into twenty nine the twenty twenty year. I think only two of the original team members are still part of the team. Uh, by the time 2022 rolled around. But that was just because after like three years in COVID, the people in 2020 were just in completely different parts of part of their life. Some people moved to other games. Some people had things going on in their life, like work and moving and home. And I think ever so then we just, over time, people had to move in and out of the team and we were able to collect different guys from all over Australia. And it was pretty good because we were able to get a pretty good collection from Queensland, New South Wales and... Uh, We got the Adelaide boys, which was really cool, uh, since they were kind of always in the periphery of the uh, community and they were really coming more into the game at that point. So it was really cool to have them actually come out and perform for the Australia. Yeah, I'll shout out to all those guys because it was really sweet to hang out with them for that week leading up for that event. I think all three of us were about to say. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All three of us were trying to say that at the same time. But yeah, it was great to have them there. Um, I think they really helped make the team. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it made a couple of the guys who couldn't make it jealous. So hopefully we'll get them on the team in future years once they're more available. Here's to it. All right. Well, I guess pre-travel plans and stuff. And I guess this is some of the stuff we kept on. We had a few boot camps. We also had some big tournaments and the like. Like I ran the OTC and then I ended up getting convinced to play. And, and a lot of that was basically prepping for this event so a lot of us had some of us had our casters locked in right away or even our factions um batesy couldn't make it on the cast on account of uh stuff wife aggro he's painting wife aggro yep (laughs) the warrior priest that is batesy had to draw some aggro away but like for instance he was flipping up which faction he would take and i know you james were locked in quite well me and whaley had a discussion because basically we obviously had the cartridge two question of like who gets to play him and how um and we ended up settling on the idea that well frankly not only is like kador can afford to lose cartridge but Crix probably needs cartridge but also Crix cartridge does more for a team because it's just more uh i'm gonna say a little skewed but he basically just has more tools especially the carapace uh ability Carapace that he gets the big one yeah yeah absolutely carapace and shield guards on chassis with reach it's just you gotta love it so that came in and then that left me in a spot where well okay i can't just take the easy route i've got to think of a caster pairing that makes sense and is also still frankly degenerate um <laughs> like, how it fits a bill there oh absolutely yeah um jack as well i know you were tossing up which faction to play and you settled on ret in the end i think you actually settled on not ret but a single caster but we'll go into that later i suppose <laughs> i mean it was almost like throwing darts at a dartboard for a while there and then all of them seemed to keep hitting falseer and more importantly the wall in front of falseer because they- I, I don't think that's i don't think that's fair because i think chris uh, like jack and i had totally polar opposite approaches because just just very quick history lesson Faye's big update came out 12 months ago now. 
And like within the first week, I basically said Wild Hunt is OP. Uh, Wormwood and Chromac are OP. Uh, Kruger Zero is OP. We played the same like variants of the same two casters for 12 months. Whereas Jack went through um, Crucible Guard, Menoth, Infernals to an extent briefly, um, and then ended up on Ret. Did you play anything else, Jack? Did you uh, I tried a little bit of Legion as well, but it wasn't oh, that's right. super serious. Yeah, that's right. There was a Primal Terrors bit for a while there, wasn't there? Yeah, I played a bit of Veil 1, who's okay. But uh, the same problems with the Legion are still there. So it wasn't, it was pretty far down the, the dartboard. Yep. And then but we had, the, I was going to say, we had the OTC, it was in May. So you'd, you pretty much made your lock uh, for Rhett uh, before May, which is interesting when you think about it because, you know, obviously yes. Chris, you, you had your, you had your Stalingrad list, which you won with. I know that was paired with Katya, but Stalingrad was a lock for you, obviously, when you won in, in CanCon, obviously, end of January. And, mm-hmm. Even though I didn't go very well, as in didn't win a game, I had my casters locked and my faction locked for what I wanted to do in March. Um, and I think for us, and I remember, um, it, it was in March that we started those leagues with with the Magpies. And by then, I think we were we were pretty much locked in our factions. Uh, to be fair, obviously, Jack, that first league you did try, um, you did try Fiona Four, um, and then I think it was halfway through that, then you switched to Crucible Guard. But by the second league, um, so that would have, as I said, taken it through to probably mid-April, you were yep. pretty much locked in on red. Yeah, but I was playing Gorshade and um, Gary at the time. Correct, correct. I know there was, the there was... Yes, I know there was some flipping around in terms of casters and... and um, but, I mean, from a faction point of view, you were yep. pretty locked in. And I think that probably made... It, a big difference to us, definitely from some of the people that I spoke to, and I think also to just some of the general thoughts of the War Machine community. And we, we spoke about this in terms of, and James, I think, hit the, hit the nail right on the head in terms of the different continents and the, just the different polarised metas and what people's thoughts were. Um, and I think going into it, I still, particularly when the lists were, um, were revealed for us and we're going through our practice and... You know, I think we were very distinct on what our thoughts were, and it was going to be interesting going into the event thinking about, well, are we right or are they right? Or and and generally speaking, um, I think our results spoke for themselves that we were quite confident that we were making the right choices. I know it comes down to player execution as well, and just the the fact that we played lots of reps. But definitely talking to some of the Finnish guys um, that we played after round three, and then obviously on that on that Saturday night, and then some of the French guys, and then definitely the Americans as well. I think what we kind of touched on before was that with the amount of volume of games that we played, particularly on War Table because of our geographic dispersion, but when we could, the quality games that we played in person as well just really cemented kind of what we thought and and we backed ourselves and thankfully the, the, the results proved that we were correct. I will say though that five months is probably not enough time to get a perfect handle on a faction. Um, so there was obviously a little bit of like maybe this regret or whatever, but luckily Faustia is good enough of a caster that, you know, it's it's not, not too much of an issue. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, she, does, she does have a spell list of four spells that are all free um, and then a, a second <laughs> spell list of actual spells. I actually really loved watching Jack's progression of what he wanted to play because we sort of pretty heavily leaned into Everyone is a solid player. Everyone likes playing strong lists. Let's just figure out what the strong things are that we enjoy playing. And Chris and 
um, Jack leaning into Falsir to me leans exactly into Jack's play style of play the strong stuff, support his theft, and um, make your opponent put your opponent in hard positions, make them do the hard work. Um, whereas you just played the foundations, but then I think that pulled us into a position where once we started doing matchup grids, we we really knew quite well what our casters were favoured and not favoured into. And so as long as you know we don't have everyone is weak into one specific caster or build, as long as we can cover each other to an extent, that that would mean that all our lists are, are viable and we can take almost anything. Yeah, and we've spoken about it online, and it was basically our idea was pretty much. As long as no one really gets an unplayable matchup, things are good, right? So just make sure that everyone just gets a matchup that they can win. Yeah. In, in in terms of, like, approaches, I think that that's probably the safest one. I mean, we saw, just as an extreme example, we saw Marc-Andre take his Skinwalker list to try and deal oh, with gosh. you specifically, Chris. But if you extrapolate that out, if you had all your players trying to take specific answers to specific things in the meta... A, you've got to run into them in the matchups. B, you've got to engineer the matchups so that you can drop your counter list into whatever specific list you're trying to counter. C, you actually need to pick those lists out of the two pair. There's just too many variables and too too much sort of randomness or um, uh, uncontrollable factors for you to en- engineer all those scenarios or situations that you need. And so I think just playing to first principles really worked in our favour. Yeah, absolutely. Avoid, avoid reds and oranges, really. And we had a had a great situation too, where we identified one of our weaknesses was obviously into red, into particularly Gorshade Four and Calissa, and that enabled us, Peter myself particularly, to play a lot of games into that. And we weren't able to come up with a, you know, a silver bullet that was automatically going to get us a win. But it just gave us the confidence to be able to play that, and it, it came through. So in round one. Uh, I was confident to take on the Gorshade 4 matchup. <clears throat> and um, that that obviously transpired as what we kind of practised. Um, and Pete in round three also took on uh, the Gorshade, I think it was the Gorshade matchup that he played. Yeah. And, 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 and very similar, just the fact that we'd identify that what these lists could do and, and, the, and for our point of view that a couple of our players couldn't play into that. And then so a couple of our other players were able to take reps <clears throat> and... Um, just feel more confident. And then the irony was that um, I, I felt that um, because our lists were, were pretty well tuned and that we had a pretty strong fundamental idea about how to approach the matchup from my and Pete's point of view, it just played into our favor that, um, you know, it, hypothetically had our opponents played more games than what we did, or maybe had a better understanding of our list or maybe had a better understanding of their own list. And I know some of that stuff you can't control, but um, just part of that preparation, we were able to execute what we needed to do. And um, it obviously fell into our favour because they they didn't execute what they needed to do against our particular list, which enabled us to get those two wins. Um, and that was just another real-world example about um, you know, the homework that we did and, and to be able to cover each other. And then uh, on the flip side, we were very confident that there'd be a lot of uh, catch of uh, Death Jack 2, which there was. And thankfully, I felt that, um, so me personally, um, I wasn't that favoured into that matchup, particularly in Takedor, but my four teammates all had good, and they didn't sacrifice their lists in order to play in it, but they all had pretty good gameplay into it. And we all played a lot of those matchups, which was great. So worst case scenario, I get into that matchup, I might have a chip in a chair and I can play into it, but more importantly, uh, all my teammates had played that many reps of it that um, 
I felt extremely comfortable if any of them hit that that matchup um, that we were going to be quite successful in in that regard. And I mean, from a matching process, it's you might be able to, if there's one or two lists that that you aren't favoured into, you may be able to avoid. But having four having four people on a team that have a favoured list into you, I felt was probably strong for us because we didn't feel um, very intimidated by the by the um, Kachiv two player. And I think in a lot of those cases, not all of them, but I think in a lot of those cases, uh, our opponents identified that because most of the Crick's matchups that the other guys played, they actually didn't drop their 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 Kachiv list. So I think that worked to our favour. Yeah, 100%. I had a similar thought with, like, I played into two hypothetical people who had Karchev 2. They never dropped it in either case because they're, like, not favoured right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and Wait, so, you also had a pretty different Karchev 2 build for Cricks compared to what I saw on the rest of the lists. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it was interesting because we took out of that polarising meta. I just think, I mean, the I don't know come down to player preference and just different play styles. Um, so in a nutshell, it's it's essentially taking a desecrator for Karchev with the idea of having a crit shred um, or, or taking a inflictor. Or in my case, I took four inflictors and I took two reapers. And I felt also too that it just helped. It bullied a lot of the matchup because three of the matchups that I played against, everyone took the anchor objective because they're worried about the reapers. But that mean that uh, Xfixius could put the cloud wall down and I could, it gave me a huge advantage um, with them not being able to see, not being able to see through clouds. Um, and I think it just, as a, I definitely tried the desecrators and mm. very early on for Too me, many maybe times. My, yeah, maybe my play style and just the way I just felt again, like there's this massive damage potential, but, I mean, something on paper, I think it also translates to how effective you're going to get in the game. Now, they obviously have a 12-inch threat, and then outside of the feet, they've only got a 9-inch threat. They've only got one melee attack. They're at 6. Um, and, you know, w- with all due respect to everyone, everyone told me, oh, you know, a potential, I've got, I've killed, you know, I've killed battle engines, I've killed, you know, I've killed heavies and all, all sorts of stuff. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, and I know it's, it's not as simple as this, but I felt that realistically against good players, they weren't really going to give you that opportunity, um, you know, to, to kind of live the dream. Um, whereas I think with my list, and we're having an inside running joke about, you know, me presenting my army to people um, and then them having to try to work that. And, and I'm not going to go into a full battle report, but my round four game against JVM was was just clinical of that. My four inflictors just um, not not foolishly, but just uh, continued to, to advance towards his army and he had to back off. And then we played this kind of cat and mouse game. Um, if, if, if I weren't if they weren't inflictors, then I think it wouldn't have been uh, as effective because I can still out-threaten most of his models or at least put them in threat ranges um, that if he did any shenanigans, he wouldn't be able to move away. So I don't, it's not like I've just got this one feet turn of threat and also just my physical footprint of having six models with two-inch melee all having the same profile. Um, you know, it just, in my opinion, it was just a better, better list. It was a more rounded list. Um, and I think it was more effective and I think it was more durable and that led into the play of, of um, you know, preventing against shooting assassinations and things like that because there were definitely some matchups where Karchev was the weakest link, but having four shield guards around him definitely probably bullied that um, to, an, to either an even matchup or an unfavoured matchup for for um, some particular list. And I definitely felt that. I No one was ever going to drop their gun line list into me and that I think helped... Um, for enabled to me to, to kind of predict what the pairing process was going to be. Um, 
and you know gave me an edge on on that as well and and just a pair that i took obviously a pretty egregious list with with scar ironically i didn't play it at all but it was yeah. also gave a real a real curveball to thinking of the matchup process with my two potential drops and what they could do absolutely that list was having played cartridge on the other side it has a lot of other advantages but definitely gun lines are something you really have to think hard about and that's why i ended up pairing with an anti-gun line list just to deal with that but being able to take four inflictors is would be a real nice feeling into those matchups. So I can for carapace infectors as well. Yeah. And it's I think the other thing too is it just lent itself to protecting all the other valuable pieces. You said Karchev, but it was stuff like Daryl Wraith as well and your support because those fucking Necrotex are also Gatsby. Can't forget him. So like Gatsby spends down to one focus to put up a cloud wall, and then the inflectors are like, well, cool. You still got to shoot through between two to four shield guards that are around Gatsby. Have at it. Yeah. The amount of yeah. solos that list pumps out is also like pretty amazing. Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very, very well tuned. I think it just all fell in just really well. Just and, and I kind of landed on that fairly early too, which was just a benefit because then I could just rip it out. And I saw plenty of other lists and plenty of other ideas and and I did try it, but just I think for me, I think I just kind of fell in love with my own list and and a little, little bit of panning for gold when when I was using the the diffuser to begin with. But then when I I stumbled upon using the talent, I think that was probably one of the most defining moments because it was just made just fitted really well and it it played such an important role in that list. And, I made uh, fun of the talent. I made fun <laughs> of him, and then and then I had to eat my words because he's probably the best six point trader to exist. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in yeah, those <coughs> in those practice games, you know, getting him into zone, like he was just a, he was just a champ. Like in 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 some games, he just stood in the zone, and they're like, "How many points is that model?" And and heck, he's armor twenty two, and yeah, it was just I don't know, it was just a dream come true. Yeah. It was just just great. Thank you for sharing that guy. Was uh, was funny, but just two quick things on the desecrators. Number one, twelve eighteen is way worse than thirteen nineteen, especially when you start stacking, you know, plus four to six armor. Um, the utility of those shield guards is terrible, and I don't care if it was PS a million and it had death touch. Like, yes, it will kill anything it gets to, but there's one turn where it has a reasonable threat, and then the rest of the game it can be potentially bullied by anything that has a threat of more than nine inches. So, um, I, I'm just really proud that you came to a list where you it had your whale signature on it and it was a lot more versatile as well as those fucking reapers being afraid that they're just randomly going to hook something in and win the game on the spot but also um i think your your scar list as well it that that example speaks really well to um if you have like a main list and you know what its weakness is and you can cover it with your second list you may never even you may never have to get your second list out of your bag but if it's forcing people to play suboptimal things into your main list, like that just really plays into our whole our whole strategy of playing what you know well and trying to trying to win a yellow matchup. Agreed. Jack, you were gonna say something. I'm pretty sure it was gonna be some talent PTSD. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I said that model was bad at the start, but I was wrong and it's not so uh, I still think it's bad. Uh, it's certainly an ugly model. Well it's yeah, pretty we old can't. now, right? Very old. In keeping with its, like, fluff, even. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just like a bookend that you can put in a zone. And people are like, better kill the bookend. And you're like, okay. <laughs> All right, I didn't, kill the, I I didn't kill the bookend. What happens? It's <laughs> like, uh, your warjacks are stationary, and everything has Dark Shroud. And you still got to kill this fucking thing to score the zone. <laughs> yep. 
I couldn't agree more. And then when they found that you'd kill him, the little necrotex behind him picked up his spare parts and then made the other guys more healthier or created scrap barrels or just got <laughs> <that> annoying. <laughs> so shit. It was. Uh, it was. It was brilliant. All right. While we're going into lists before we go to the prep, uh, James, what about yourself, just real quick? How did you find about, like, you know, not playing Kruger 2? I won't say you didn't uh, play Kruger because you played the best Kruger, but what did you feel? I played play Kruger every game. Yeah, I'll just keep this real brief. Um, so I've always had a really soft spot for both Wormwood and Chromac and when Phase Update came out with Kruger Zero and the changes to Wild Hunts and uh, the changes to essentially living circle war beasts, it was a bit of a, a no-brainer. Um, and it really came down to if you have significant shooting, Wormwood is the man. If you if you don't, Chromac is probably the man. And Wormwood is still, you know, he's such a universally strong cast that you can play into most almost any matchup uh and bestial uh, really does work these days the, the the point the major tipping point for me was just playing some games with the guys and realizing that the weakness of both lists is still um paper mache circle heavies and so when one or two die it's really hard to to leverage your remaining one or two so i ended up taking five heavies in both builds which actually just made my, my process even even simpler um and my matchups even is even simpler as well. And that's why um why Gorshade Four was a bad matchup because five heavies that can only kill one model and then a frozen of sad heavies. Um but but Wormwood just brought so many amazing tools between uh, I mean uh, in my game against Watt in round four, just real quick. I was having a pretty average turn into Sylvestro, but I had a very aggressive feat with Wormwood. And my very final activation was to run uh Cassius to a spot where I could uh, strangle hold, hold both of his trains um, and then teleport him back to safety. And it went from a, a little, what's probably going to clean up a lot of my army here to, oh, he needs to decide if he's going to shoot and try and kill stuff or stay in the scenario by moving a train. So he's just got a tool for every situation and, and the, the pair worked out perfectly. I don't think, I think it, additionally with the changes to Windstorm, I think Kruger is definitely not Circle's best caster anymore. Um, I think he's probably in in a solid third third place. But hey, uh, Mark falls around the corner, and that may all change. the The final MVP of my list was uh, Malvin Two under Wormwood. Malvin Two um, oh, shooting kicking stones is just ridiculous. Like he's <laughs> it, just insane. There was one into France in round five. He froze. He, sh- he shot one of my own stones, which just the perfect target for him to shoot for that and Hellmouth and um, uh, he shot a stone that froze three stalkers. So instead of having to boost to hit 15s and be worried about missing death 15, they just a, a stalker trivially killed three, uh, a waffle stalker trivially killed three stalkers, Crick's stalkers. <laughs> wow. So that guy, that guy just printed gold every single game. Can I just say that my only one regret, and I would have loved to have seen it and loved to record it, and maybe this is a fantasy, but to to get you into the circle mirror, James, that didn't have, uh, well, basically some of those Wormwood and Kruger 2 lists that we were very confident that uh, you might have presented an extremely challenging problem in terms of Chromac into the mirror that uh, we obviously yeah. we could never get. But I would yeah. have loved to have been a fly on the wall and see because obviously the prep <laughs> you would have done and just obviously the turn that you talked about and what you would have done and you had it all planned. I would have loved to have just see it happen in, in, in real life. Just a, one, just to obviously prove that it's possible. And then two, don't want to sound mean and horrible, but then just to see your opponent have to 
have to get their way out of it, assuming it was true and possible. Yeah, I, and oh. I played the mirror quite a few times. Uh, the the reason I was basically doubting myself is that I hadn't played the mirror, including primal and primal archons, uh, with the ability not to be to be pulled and, and trade poorly. Um, even if you go in on them, not being able to sprint away from them because of the shadow bind, not being able to do a whole bunch of things can make it a little bit tricky to execute, but I think well executed. If I'd done one or two more practices there, I would have loved to really play that mirror because, boy, does Chromac really just smash it. <laughs> I have two yeah, things I'll to say there. The yep. I was really surprised at the amount of fucking Primal Archons I was seeing in lists in Europe. Holy cow. I was not ready for that. Yeah. And uh, I really do appreciate you playing for our team as well, James. Uh, your lists were <laughs> very, very good. Yeah. Wait, didn't you copy the lists off of Alex? That's what I heard on a podcast. <laughs> Alex is funny. His lists were Am I James Morehouse yet? Which cracks me up. But Alex uh, came <clears> into his own. He was uh, absolutely humming with them. So, and a pleasure to, to play with. Well, you guys were, yeah, he was doing very, very well with those lists. And he was really, uh, he was really enjoying that Wormwood. I think he played it like every game. I think he played it five times. Yeah. I, uh, times. we had at boot camp, we had a couple of games where I watched him play and I, Gave him a couple of pointers on some really obnoxious things you can do with it, and just watching his face light up was awesome. And he was really uh, digging those lists and really enjoying playing them. Yeah, I guess I'll go to mine real quick. Uh, like I was playing Stalingrad, which I this one CanCon with, so I knew that was a lock. The other one was basically a bit of an open question. I said Alonza Cobra too, and I was kind of annoyed I never got to play her on the weekend. But it was one of those where I never got to play her because everyone was fucking terrified of this. Like, Zakova 2's ridiculous threat range and all that shit, and they're like, I just saw all of these random answers to it of varying degrees of success, or people just randomly dodging me. So it was one of those where hmm. I took out life insurance that I never needed because I had life insurance. Yeah. But it's a beautiful thing to see. It was funny when, just at different points of view, Chris, and um, you had four Kato mirrors in that was that right four cattle mirrors in i that, had four cattle mirrors yep. and so for me and i made it quite clear is that i didn't i didn't want to play the mirror the crick's mirror can be you know a bit hairy at some stage and just normal mirrors are just not not my favorite um probably part of my uh, <clears throat> part of my fear of getting showed up by someone else playing crick's but for you you obviously just you absolutely thrived on that mirror and um, it was just magic to watch you play. And it's like, you know, it's a funny when I was thinking the patching, the matchup process, I'm like, oh, they got a Kador player, but I don't think they're good as our Kador player. And uh, it was music to my ears, mate, just to watch you play and, you know, your all your uh, antics during the game. And uh, and it was obviously, you know, testament to you and the results you got, which was wonderful. Uh, it was yeah, I did drop one game, but even then that was like, uh, whoops. Not a uh, uh, shit. <laughs> well, I think it's worth mentioning too. Uh, don't want to beat around drum, but we were very definitely proud of just the way that our end result, which obviously of the 30 games, we were 28 and two. So, you know, that's just more so from the hard work that we did um, and all the effort that we did, all the support we got. You know, there's obviously, I mean, Frawley's got to get a mention. Nathan Frawley did so much work and help for us. Um, you know, the other teams, ourselves, um, you know, it just certainly all came to it wasn't a chance or a fluke that we had that much success. And that's what our result was. Um, you know, it's just testament to all the work that we did. And so that's something to be very proud of from our point of view. And who knows? I mean, that may 
maybe Eclipse in the future or, you know, we had a bit of a joke when we were celebrating that, you know, we've obviously given ourselves something to aim for potentially if the stars align and we all get back together and maybe have another go sometime in the future. But um, just that that is getting back together. Just, just, just that achievement itself was something very, very proud that I, me, obviously, as a captain, but just part of the team and everything that we, we accomplished. It was just, yeah, a nice little, nice little touch. Indeed. All right. Well, we didn't get there right away. It's not like we showed up to the WTC and it, like just immediately flew in, flew out. And that's actually something we've always done. Is I mean, it makes sense. We're flying all the way from Australia. It's a 22-hour give or take flight plus time spent in, you know, airports and stuff for transfers and uh, layovers. It's shit. It really is. Yeah, um, it's not great. It is not great. <clears throat> so, yeah, we flew, like, to recap our trip kind of quickly, James had a wedding, so he had to fly in late. So me, Jack, Pete, and Whaley all flew in to Frankfurt. And we flew into Frankfurt with one mission, well, two missions in Whaley's case. His mission was to try and decipher the freaking Canadian team, um, which, by the way, at some point I took over, and it wasn't even deciphering the Canadian team. It was trying to decipher why the fuck Mark Andre took Boulder to the WTC, and then why was this meant to buy into me? <clears throat> but no, our primary mission in Frankfurt was pork knuckle. <laughs> we had a lovely two days there. It was it was great. We uh, we got an so early. Addendum. We we addendum. Jack had a mission as well. Currywurst. Yes. yes, that was actually the, the second one. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. We, we we survived the flight, some of us better than others. Um, and uh, we got to a hostel and we cruised around and I've oh, been to Frankfurt a couple of times before and it was just part of it, obviously, to help us get over, uh, get over the jet lag. And we had a couple of nice meals and a couple of beers and just started the camaraderie and hanging out together, which was lovely. Um, you know, again, no, no hassles there. Some interesting stories with Uber drivers and or lack thereof and train stations and going to the wrong place and, you know, going to a vegan vegan cafe and telling them <laughs> we wanted breakfast and then telling them we didn't want breakfast, which was funny. But uh, we got through those two days. And it was really good. And uh, then we discovered that we probably should have booked our ticket, train ticket earlier than we did. So that was a little bit of an expensive uh, exercise. But uh, in my defence... When I was there four years ago, it definitely wasn't twice what we paid to get over to uh, Brussels. But um, we had just a great team bonding exercise and we even identified it was it was good. Just for me, there was that Texas list, which I saw working with Pete and Pete's like, I don't think you're good here. And I didn't even it was just a great indication of that group think, because I obviously missed in the update that the subduer had a range 10 and what Texas could do. And Pete obviously played a lot of that and. And rightfully pointed out, thankfully there was only six Texas players, but pointed out that that list is built very well to play against me, which was great. So we made some adjustments there and just, you know, playing some games, only played a couple, we played some games, but it just really captivated our, our preparation and our and made us hungry and also, you know, that fine tuning for, for leading into the event. Um, and I think we'd probably the second or the third time we'd actually ran through our pairings and constantly making adjustments, just getting information like talking about that Texas input which was great, and some more real-world, you know, data and playing some games and then thinking about um, some approaches to games and things, which is just, yeah, really just honed us in on some great information about our pairing, our, our matchups, our, our matrixes and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we rolled into Brussels where, obviously, James joined us and, um, yeah, it just rolled on from there. So we did Texas have a goal. A lot of Texas. 
Sorry, Chris, what was that? I was going to say, we did have a goal, and that was if we we're going to get trashed, we'd get trashed on the Wednesday, not the Thursday, like what happened last time, and mission accomplished, I guess. <laughs> was it? The, I thought it was earlier than that that you came home. No, it was uh, Wednesday, because that's where I ran trivia, and that's when I got fucking blasted. Oh my <laughs> god, Chris. You were, you were pretty you're pretty inebriated, I think, on the on the Monday night, too, when you guys snuck out and had a couple of drinks. So. Oh, it wasn't so bad. Like, I mean, yeah, that was drunk, but, like, Wednesday was pretty loose. <laughs> fair, fair. But just to touch on that, obviously, Chris talked about travelling. It's a big deal for us, too. It's not just a fly-in, fly-out, play games of War Machine. It's a it's – a, obviously, a lot of us – I know James obviously ran the numbers for us. Quite a few financial and time investment, particularly for those with partners and families. You're away. You're away from your work um, for a considerable amount of time. Uh, it is a bit of a holiday for us. Um, and – I think that all just helps definitely with the team gelling and, you know, you invest that time and effort into the um, into the event. It's not win at all costs, but certainly those little value adds about those travel stories and working together and, and those laughs and things certainly help, um, you know, certainly help the experience. So in, in other previous WTCs where we've been successful or unsuccessful, there's plenty of cool stories that you can look back on and, you know, share those experiences, which I think is just, leads in definitely leads into our success um you know obviously australia's won it australia has been fortunate enough to win the wc wtc three times and it's not Good. by chance it's not by chance i think it's the preparation and the and the uh and the dedication of the players and and part of the experience which certainly helps um enable we're us not, to sorry not Brian. giving Jimmy his fair due uh he was there at all three wins and they're the only ones he attended <laughs> Yes, well, there's that He's too. A good you know. luck charm. There is he lots is of good luck best charm. Luck charm. <clears throat> there are those things, Brian, but I think taking nothing away, Matt, it's all about the preparation and and you know execution. So, with a little bit of good luck charm thrown in as well. I yes, have indeed. To agree. You are the winner. But I think I think that's a good point in that like it takes us a day and a half to get there, right? So so I I count door to door, especially because I'm not in a major city. It's 32 hours each way for me. And later on this year, I'm doing uh, another one where I'm going through the States to get to Europe. Um, and that's a 40-something hour. So so you're traveling for three days minimum and you're dealing with jet lag, right? Um, you're there for a weekend. You basically have to take, at bare minimum, a week off work, if not two. So so it's not like we can just jump in the car for three hours and get there and, and play a weekend of games. Um, so I think naturally that causes it to be a much bigger event. And that has its pros and cons. Um, I, and I think largely at the end of the day that they're, they're pros, they're much more significant event, but it's, there's a lot more riding on it for us as well. It's quite the commitment just to go all the way out there. So when you go out, you want to do the best you're going to do. So there's a lot to going all the way and making the most of that trip, which is why every year you see the Australians spending at least five days leading up to the event, if not longer before or after. Uh, just hanging out in the country, getting over the jet lag, enjoying the sights because we're in a foreign fucking continent, and uh, just re- repping a few more games just to get all the rust off and get over the jet lag. But yeah, it's one of the best experiences we can have, and you really do need to make it a real journey because it's going to cost you, like you said, almost a week of your time regardless, even if you go for the two days. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like talking to the Canadians as well, they get two. I didn't realize this. They only get two weeks annual leave. Um, yep, they're so, better than the US. That's the entire leave gone. 
like that that's your whole trip right so at what at what point does it become you know let's play toy soldiers for a weekend versus like this is a big commitment with like a solid group of group of mates so um the, probably worth mentioning as well we had three teams of five um and we all seemed to kind of just do our own thing um up until we had a couple of days together in in brussels practicing and playing but people sort of still kind of just did their own thing we we rented out a bar um at the hostel that we were staying at and got some some leftover plywood and, and played games for three or four <laughs> days so so there was always that toss-up of should i see brussels or should i practice for the weekend <laughs> Yeah, shout well, out to the... James. Sorry, shout out to uh, Potsy and Jeff for fucking I and Nads as well for finding like wooden Brussels and <laughs> we cleaned it up and we got it in the hostel and we're like, okay, we got in the bar actually. We rented it out as James said, and it led itself to like the best <laughs> place to play because it was like, okay, once you're done, you can relax at the bar. It's a G- Belgian bar, so it serves extremely good beer, right? And then we just had ourselves a blast. You've got an entire other group of 14 other people, of which nine of whom are not on your team. Sorry, 10 of whom are not on your team. So guess what? You've got 10 other potential practice partners, if not more, because you want to do some matchups and stuff specifically. It was really good because there was a couple of matchups we all identified as like, uh, I kind of want to practice this one. And we sort of left it to the WTC pre-weekend because that's when we were able to hit it all out because it's mutual benefit, right? You, Whaley, even if you're playing your own cook of Karchev, which was ended up being unique, it's still Karchev. You still see what to do. And you did, in fact, play a couple of Desecrator games, I believe. Like, yep. I got a game into Cold Grammar, a matchup I thought I, I just wanted to see because it had been so long since I actually played into it. And fuck, it was all good. And the other thing, too, obviously, being some of the best caliber players in our country and playing <clears throat> under our under WTC conditions in terms of, you know, on clock and time and and it just I think it's just a great tune up for all those teams leading into the event. And also worth mentioning, I was quite proud that we were able to play in the Ashes, which worked out really well. And that's always been a, a tradition of us, again, particularly for the new players, because we treat it like a pretty serious event. We obviously love uh, beating up on the Poms um, and uh, that went swimming for us as well. A lot of our a lot of our guys first time WC, WTC and we pushed them onto the stream as well um, <clears throat> kind of just to kind of stress test them and, and put them under the pressure but a lot of those guys really reveled in that environment as well and I think that certainly helps and I'm going back to 2015 when I was fortunate enough to go my first WTC and fortunate enough to win my first Ashes game it makes a huge difference and um, again that just obviously the the English guys are great um, you know, they came over and we were, it all just come together. We had 15 on 15. We're lucky to win 11 to 4. Uh, so we re, we retained the Ashes. But it was just a great feeling as well with that community and playing. And we took a big big, big group photo, which was awesome. And it, uh, yeah, it just helped kickstart our WTC weekend, you know, putting the right foot forward. Oh, yes. out the cobwebs. There were a lot of games going on on the Friday night as well. That I think there was the... Uh, I think Sweden-Norway was a thing, and then there was Denmark-Deutschland. Canada-Germany. There's Canada-Germany. There's a whole lot of sort of rivalries that help us all. uh, I'm not not really sure where that rivalry comes from. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about the Canadian-German one, but the other ones are Germany of Canadian heritage, I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, because the last time I remember, it was actually, you know, Can- what well, the rival you think it was, which is Canada versus the States. And then, yeah, that would make uh, sense, right? Yeah, I reckon it must have been something that happened in 2019. Like, you know, Honestly, a Canadian spilled a German's beer or a Canadian <laughs> said sorry and a German thought that that was too, like, didn't say sorry efficiently enough. And then Civil War. Civil War. I think also, too, just people like mixing up playing different things. I mean, it comes a little bit of nows as well. There was a lot of changes in the American teams, and they had five, and Canada only had two teams. So it probably just made a bit more sense for them to do it as well. But just a quick shout-out, I think one of the things that we didn't touch on, which I know me personally, but for all of us, was um, just the awesomeness of Mount Banner our, our friends um, that we hadn't seen for, for us four years uh, in terms of the, those WTC players and... You know, you certainly feel special, I do, when you uh, are socialising with those people and, you know, they come and talk to you and they're like, oh, we think you guys are going to win. You know, we're really rooting for you guys. You guys are going to be the favourites. It's sometimes a blessing and a curse, but I certainly personally, um, you know, took a lot of those uh, words from some top-level players and particularly players that had won previous WTCs. Um, So for me, obviously, it was was Robin Melkic and it was the Poland team that really, yes. um, you know, when you get those guys in your corner, uh, Rob in particular, and he, as I said, I've just got so much respect for that guy. And when he, when he, he's in there and he's just so lovely and jovial and you're like, you know, like he's, you know, he's in your corner. It certainly gives you, you know, makes you feel a, a little bit taller and a little bit more confident. So uh, if we're doing thanks, I think we should uh, sh- make another shout out to uh, Henry Wagner and uh, Polymath Tabletop. Uh, they provided us with some amazing tokens and tokens for our opponents uh, and helped us with our shirts this year. So I oh, just want to give him another sh- t- shout out. And guys, if you can, check out his stuff. Uh, he doesn't do a ton of War Machine at the moment, but I definitely think when Mark IV pops up, you'll see more content uh, for that Absolutely. There. He's been with us actually <laughs> since... I'd say halfway through. He went there with us in 2016. He had a blast and he kind of wanted to share the experience with others. Uh, well, we'll include a link in the, we'll include a link in the description below this podcast because frankly, that man, like those templates he provided, they are fucking mint. Um, and they're, they're prepped for, uh, they're prepped for Mark IV because there's some 80 mil bases in there. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which I think he does do, he sells mats and tokens and stuff. So definitely check it out as well. Yep, 100%. Yeah, not just saying that. Like he gave us, he gave every player six sets of tokens that we gave out over the weekend. So it's ninety sets, full sets of like 70? tokens that that that. Well, fifteen times six. One, one, no, it's seven sets, isn't it? One for us, and then oh, and then one for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So over a hundred sets, and um, and they retail for eighty bucks. So you can do the math on sort of the size of that donation, which is just awesome. Yeah, real good, nice guy. I definitely. Check them out, man. Absolutely. So real quick with you two, James and Whaley, because you might have to head in a bit. Um, I guess we should go into a little bit of highlights with our games, but obviously, let's be real. This is Mark Three end of edition. We've got basically one more tournament coming up that's going to be Mark Three, which is Warfare Weekend. So going into the intricacies of the matchup, if all six, and no one really wants to listen to that anyway, I would like to ask, what were some of the highlights of your game's experience from the weekend? Um, If you you want me to kick off just quickly, um, I I, I touched on it before, the round one game where it was against Gorshade and working with Jack and talking about it. We had a great game plan and that executed well. So that obviously led to to a victory there. Um, 
round uh, round three was a highlight. James had won his game, and I'd played a, a, a great finish guy, and it was coming down to the wire, but I still had my ambushing mechanothrolls, and Wormwood went to the side of the board. So I was able to ambush and kill Wormwood with three charging brute thralls, which was a oh bit of fun. Oh, uh, Round that. four, uh, I touched on a little bit before, that awesome game against JVM. It was a real a real grind, and uh, my history with JVM, loved the guy, and he beat me in lock and load 2016 final. So it was kind of great to get another game against him, and uh, I don't think I played my best against him back then, and I think uh, I had a, I obviously had catch of two, but... Uh, in saying that, I think I just executed a very solid game plan uh, and managed to squeeze out that win. Round five, uh, I talked on before, but having James next to me and the poor French, I think, dropped the wrong list into us and it was a bit of a bloodbath. He tried to take me on with Molvana 2 and Akachev and after the first couple of turns, of him, he realised that he didn't have much of a hope. And just finally, round six, obviously, unfortunately, that was the one game that I dropped. Uh, I was able to, in hindsight, I think I could have played that better. Um, but in saying that, though, I still fought and fought, and I did get Charles. I did did kill Gorton to force a tough roll, and uh, unfortunately, he passed that tough. We did a bit of a joke about it would have been terrible to lose the WTC on a tough roll, but thankfully, my other four opponents uh, grand slammed the other four games. But just very quickly, that's probably the highlights for me. That's awesome, Whaley. Um, yeah, so just on that French game as well, uh, it was really interesting because all the a lot of French teams had Morvana two in their pair. And I think that's a real symptom of um, uh, metas developing in isolation during COVID, uh, whilst it was sort of, there was a sort of global meta on war table where people could, you know, have a melting pot of ideas. I think some countries, especially Denmark as well, who decided COVID don't exist, uh, COVID doesn't exist early on, went back to playing in person and we saw some of those metas develop in isolation. And that round five game really saw that Thankfully, the practice that Whaley and I had, had done for Crickson Circle was maybe just a step ahead of where the French thoughts on Crickson Circle were. So that was that was a nice a nice uh, moment. My games real quick. Round one, I played Cromac into Lelith uh, from uh, France. Uh, he had Damiano. Uh, I learned, I forgot that uh, the cavalry have bulldoze in that theme and a couple of unlucky uh, defensive strikes from Lelith on both uh, Rossinante and. Uh, Stannis meant that uh, I got up on attrition in the long game, uh, and to be very blunt, that was a that was a a very close game, uh, and I was sort of a little bit annoyed with myself because it didn't need to be as close with Cromac. But then round two, I played Lorenz from Belgium, Virus two versus uh, Cromac, and that was a that was a, more of a Cromac masterclass. Uh, favorite moment was Loki popping around the side of a building, hook, uh, hooking a jack out of his own. And then killing it and warpathing back behind the buildings, just bow peep all, all the whole game, just go, hello, whoop, run away. Um, <laughs> and some very cool positioning to get around Virus 2's feet and uh, get up on Scenario. Round three, I played Tero, who was rocking a Gatsby 3 instead of Kacha 2. Um, and he gave me first turn with Wormwood, which I always think is a mistake if you give Wormwood first turn. Um, and it, it paid off. I really sort of forced him to play in a, a box and, and – uh, Ambushing Wolves of Volboros did their did their awesome thing as usual and uh, uh, got up on scenario there of Terror, the legend. Uh, round four, I played Watt, which was probably my favourite game. Uh, absolute gentleman and a scholar to play against. Uh, really glad to finally play Watt. That was Wormwood and um, uh, Silvestro. Uh, just on that one, um, Watt had played Wormwood in the previous round and lost, and he's playing the theme where you get to re-roll the dice to go first, as well as has Anastasia. So he has plus one and a re-roll. So the odds of you winning that 
die roll are very, it's about 89%. He lost and his opponent went first. Then in our game, I rolled a six, he rolled a two, and then he re-rolled into a two and I went first and he lost again. So the two game, he, he, the odds of him losing both of those are about 1% into Wormwood, that roll. And I think that really does put him on the, the back foot. So it's very, sometimes you've got to have luck go your way a little bit. So I got lucky there. Um, Round five, uh, as Whaley and I mentioned, it, I ended up playing Wormwood into into Stalkers. And between Strangleholds and Loki with True Sights and uh, Wormwood's Feet, uh, that was just a, a real sort of masterclass for, for Circle, fortunately. And then finally, uh, in, a, in a poetic sort of uh, roundabout way, I'd been chatting to Corey Doyle all of Friday um, at the train station, and Corey and I played in the final. It was Rask versus Wormwood. Um, he had two primal icons and uh i think i was sort of up up early on but it was a, it was a game of who made more mistakes than the other i made one or two little ones he made one or two um and i whilst i did lose all my heavies i managed to uh, rush him down on a scenario with uh some friendly hellmouths and melvin the legend um and got up seven two on the scenario over a very uh, wonderful gentleman. So I managed to go 6-0, uh, and Wormwood is a beast. Two things. One, shout out to Corey Doyle. You are an absolute freaking king amongst men. And, I mean, yeah, that was just, it was so great to hang out with him. And he was one part of the reason why we all got trashed on Monday and Wednesday, I believe. <laughs> Especially Wednesday. No, 100% it was Wednesday. Two, Whaley, that little tidbit you bit, had there about killing um, your opponent with ambushing brute thralls, would you care to explain how you accomplished such a tactful ambush? Because <laughs> we started when you told us about it, we all cracked up. And then, James, I know you copied the same technique because it was a fucking ripper. I think from my point of view, it was just a situation where um, we just played a long game. He had ambushes as well. So generally speaking, we like to kind of hold our ambushes to try to keep the other ambushes in check. Um, and the game just attritioned out, and it got to a key point where I was able to charge. And um, he came forward, and his list had wormwood with, with three stalkers. He came in, killed one of my heavies, um, but then just done a misplay, uh, and he banked on Lunissa or Solbin to come up. And he hadn't feeded, but he has a very big forest in the middle of the table. He had her in there doing her winter storm or whatever it is. So yeah. um, hang on just one second. Ambushes OP. <laughs> sorry, about that. I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> about that. I'm just trying to work at the same time. Um, so she came up and did the winter storm. And then from that point of view, I was able to come and kill her and then charge and uh, was able to kill two stalkers. So that changed the game. And just scrambling. And I think he had to move uh, Wormwood out of the, the danger zone because I still had four heavies there. And because um, I held my um, just because I held my ambushes, I think he forgot about them and he and he put them within uh, charge range. So that's how that worked out. I think it was a turn five ambush, wasn't it? Um, I had a I had a similar similar thing with um, Wolves of Albor. I say at the start of the game, I'd say. I'm going to ambush my wolves, get my opponent to acknowledge, and then sort of just put them to the side um, under the table. Um, and then I'm like, don't put anything within 14 inches. And uh, one of my poor opponents put gas before and Iacos within 14 inches of the table edge. So it was a bit of dealer's choice. Was like, oh, which one do you want, Gaspy or Iacos? So <laughs> that was, those guys are legends, except for the standard bearer. He's an idiot. 
I mean, he's a legend. He's got a soul, and one would like souls. It's true. Yeah. Ambush the, old is, uh, class... the Ambush meta is, is quite strong, to be honest. But all of this well, is a bit redundant now. Well, again, the old classic, you put your ambushing models out of physical line of sight, and your opponent forgets about them. <laughs> I still remember when Whaley just goes like, all right, it's turn five. I'm like, all right, I'm going to ambush. And he just reaches down, picks up a tray, and starts meticulously putting these brute thralls down. And he has like, oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so what do I need to hit? Uh, what do I need to hit? Wormwood, who's got no souls and hasn't cast Spiny Growth. <laughs> it's going to be a bad time. Uh, yeah, it was a sad time. All right. Um, we might as well roll into Jack. Uh, honestly, you guys might have to go right, Whaley, and Moops. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll duck off in about five, ten minutes. I'm, I'm going to sign right. off. Uh, it's been a good chat and just obviously shout out to all the guys and the effort that we did and everything was wonderful. And um, thanks for having us on and something I'll carry for a long period of time. Yep. Well, thanks Wouldn't for coming. Wouldn't have done it without you. See really. All right, guys. Take care. I'll catch you later. See ya. See ya. Cheers, Bye. mate. And might as well go to yours, Jack. You feel like you're doing your – you want to do your games real quick? Um. I don't really need to go into them individually because they kind of were all the same. Um, the game plan, I played Falcia all six games, seven if you count the Ashes. And the game plan was kind of the same, everyone, where I just walk her up as far as I could without being in danger of dying and kind of um, project uh, with her personal threat. And then using that just to contest the zone, score points when they're available and uh, play at a decent speed and then my opponent would have to try and not block contest the zones score their own points while not putting anything in range of Thalcia to get killed for free and that was kind of pretty much every game I played to be honest it worked out <laughs> he basically put Thalcia up and made see what mistakes everyone made and everyone just sort of fell yeah. over themselves yeah yeah because if you put her up as far as you can they have to know how to play into it you know, as well as I do, in a sense, because if I see their army and I think, well, the only pieces that can threaten to kill me are ABC, they also have to come to the same conclusion. Because if they think, well, I only need, you know, A and B to to threaten me, which is which turns out to be incorrect, then they've basically done nothing. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's they basically have to solve the puzzle and come to the same answer as I do, assuming I'm correct. Um, otherwise, they they kind of waste a lot of activations doing nothing. Yep, fair enough. And you have a lot of pieces in your list, Jack, as well, that ask a tough question, which is how do you deal with risks that attack twice and when they die, they attack you again? So, like, how do you trade up against all of those things? There are answers, but you need to be really prepared and you need to know yes. the matchup well. Yes, there, uh, there are answers, and but it's a question of... Uh, putting the correct answers in the correct spot while avoiding giving me anything for free with Thalcia. Because if you put anything, kind of like if there's any low-hanging fruit, she'll just kill it for free, right? So it's hard to position your models to get the correct answers in the right spot and, and you know, while playing scenario and not clocking yourself, which is kind of what ended up happening a lot of my rounds where my opponent would either not be able to contest the scenario properly while trying to line up the answers or threaten my caster or just, you know, clock themselves because uh, I generally play pretty fast and if they are not 
plan of keeping pace, then the, stop, the clock starts to put a lot of pressure on them and then they start making more mistakes. Yeah, as somebody who has had a 16-23 Gederix die to Falsir um, over like four attacks, who can then also, she uh, vanishes and sprints. Um, it, it just, it doesn't look like it does, but it asks a very, that, that, that list asks a lot of very tough questions through some very like quite simple modules that are applied. Yeah, um, so like yeah. in the end, what it comes down to is if you can't, legitimately threaten to kill her without like if you can't put something in range of her to threaten her that she can't kill herself eventually you'll lose the attrition so you have to spend a bunch of time figuring out how to do that well um and that obviously burns your clock um so in the end yeah it's it's hard to play against it if you don't have a plan at the start of the game of which models do i need at all times to keep her honest yeah, and just to be explicit on that as well, um, a couple of tools that allow you to do that are you have a wall in the theme, so you are always, with the the um, guard dog, you are always def 19 and you're effectively always armor 22 because you can camp all your armor. And so if there is something that can threaten to kill her, she either kills it or, like, if you have to, you can always put um, Starcrossed on it. Uh, so so she's she's pretty incredible yo-yo. Yeah, and the hermit helps as well because usually they have, they might have one thing that can can do a lot of work, but it's very rare for a lot of lists to have multiple pieces that can do you know hit that accurately and that hard to to kill her. And for yeah, multiple like, attacks as well, like, like the like wild aggression um, uh, stalkers primals primaled up with lightning blade often kill anything in the game but that's one thing that i'm like yeah i'm not doing that trade ever it's not gonna happen <laughs> and then if you get a free warp off it's like oh well, i've lost the game <laughs> and then what ends up happening is if they do have something like that and they're like well i can't kill the caster now they're like well what am i going to do am i going to send it into risavas am i going to stand there all game and do nothing or like and it's and there are no real great options um but it, it takes a bunch of, it takes some like time to figure out which of the bad options is the least bad. So then you end up picking one of the not so good options while having burnt a bunch of your clock and it's just, it kind of compounds and then you got to play scenario and then, yeah, it just all adds up. It's almost like playing men off. Just asking it, yeah, questions. Yeah, 100% is like playing yeah, men off. Except with your caster instead of your actual army. And that's more fun. That's true. It's definitely not men off, but yes, it is more fun, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. There was one thing I noticed was like, just these all these random incidental little fuck yous in your army. Like again, you got risk, which is not exactly an accidental fuck you, but the manacles, you had three of them with covering fire, and then you got the fact that you have a trident, so you can just say, oh, I got a trident, and I positioned uh Falcia such that you can you can still hop over the wall with a trident jump, right? Mm-hmm. And oh look at that. The thing with the trident is it it actually makes your opponent more honest with their caster because not yes. just because you can place two, but because if they're not in range and they're not immune to knockdown, a trident with plus two, plus two on a knockdown caster it pretty much kills basically everything. So if they ever make a mistake, they're just dead. Plus two, plus two, reroll damage seems pretty good, eh? Yeah, yeah, and and on a knockdown caster. I mean, yeah, you could be like Karchev or something and you could survive, but the majority of casters in the game, you know, just dead. I mean, I didn't do that to anyone, but 
they have to be conscious of it. And then it's, it's just more time they've got to spend you know, thinking, where do I put my caster? Do I need uh, cargo netting for the objective? Do I need to put models in front or behind and et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's just a lot of mental load that they've got to figure out. And there'll be quite a few games where they might be like slightly up on attrition because maybe they don't, they can't kill my caster, but they certainly might have the tools to kill the rest of my army. But even if you're up on attrition, eventually you have to, unless you've killed everything, eventually you have to do something about Faust here because even if you are slightly up now, if you're not about to win on time or scenario, she is going to kill the rest of your shit. So, you know, even though you might be ahead on attrition, unless you're winning on other metrics, it, it's, it can be a bit deceiving and you're not really winning. Yeah, especially with Falsia, because <coughs> with the fact that she could thresh her and put out all of her stupid bounty tokens, oftentimes it's actually worth of her just going in and threshing a bunch of assholes, just random dudes, because everyone she hits is another debuff on something. And, yeah, it's a classic. You put five models in front of Falsia, and now five units in your army just have AIDS of some hard... Honestly, in a lot of the cases, it's pretty debilitating. It is, and it's... It, it makes their maths in their head and their planning. It screws with that as well. And again, it takes more time to more figure it out. Yes. If suddenly half your models have uh, falter or starcross, whatever you want to call it, and the other half are like minus two speed, suddenly your plan that you had planned on you know, before, you have to redo it because now you're like, well, this unit can't actually hit that unit properly, and this unit can't reach that unit. So what my plan before, now I have to do it all over again in my head before I actually start doing it. So, and your yeah. your units were hyper efficient on top of that in terms of they have flashing steel and an extra attack when they die and then manticores which is incredible value between their guns their crowd control and they actually hit really hard especially with the the prey bounty. Um, yes. You you're, you're just always able to sort of like trade up. So it was it was a good insight, Jack, into understanding like know how your list works because y your list was really in in the same vein to Whaley, kind of like present and watch them unravel the rubik's cube and yep. even if they know how to solve the rubik's cube like you're pretty good at at playing the army yourself as well uh speaking of which uh number one player at the wtc well done so it was interesting yes, congratulations. Do, that, do that to your opponents um actively because i think you could easily if you didn't know how to pilot your list kind of like take it and run it forward and maybe be too aggressive or maybe do unnecessary things with it um and uh just on that we saw some examples over the weekend where your opponents would just make mistakes and it would compound and like snowball and not even big mistakes, like mistakes everyone makes. So I remember one opponent ran his models forward and they, he ran them out of command because maybe he was flustered. Maybe he was trying to, he was trying to solve the Rubik's cube. And I think you said, are those models out of command? And I think they got a little bit annoyed and, and you're like, I'm just asking you if, if, the models you ran are out of command. I didn't even do anything. Like often, often your effectiveness is, is applied by doing nothing. So it's yes. just an interesting list to watch. I think it was an absolute pleasure to watch. Well, a pleasure apart from the, mostly because I didn't have to play into it, of watching that list develop over, because you said you started with, what was it, Forshade and Gary. Yeah, I played, and, okay, okay, this is a, a little bit interesting. So I started with Gorshade and Gary because we had specific things that we wanted to answer as a team. So Gary was supposed to be the circle and the wormwood drop because you can see through forests. So that was step one. Um, for choosing Retribution in the first place. And then after that, well, I can't play Gary into a bunch of Carapace heavies against Karchev. So then I needed a second list that I could play into Karchev. So we decided that 
you know, Gorshed looks reasonable because you can freeze the heavies on the feet turn. You can run a bunch of pretty hard hitting infantry. You can put a cloud wall. You know, he's immune to magic. He's got he's got a lot of tools. He's very flexible. And that was that pairing is fine. Like it's not a, it's not like problematic. It's just that the when I started playing Falseer, the more you play her, the more you realize that she plays into like most things. So your second list starts to become less and less important in that it, it doesn't have to carry as much weight. It can kind of be like a targeted list. Um, so yeah, like in the end, I think we started with like 60-40 or 50-50 in terms of what caster was going to play which matchups in, in terms of the grid. But as we played more games and, and I thought about the matchups more, in the end it, it was more like 75-25 um, in favor of Falsier. Uh, which is which is good because the more the more you play with Falsir, the better you get. The more difficult it is for your opponent to play into it. Um, so you know it's it, it turned out pretty well in that sense. And Gary, I never dropped him, but he was he was pretty good in the pairing all weekend because every time my opponents dropped their anti-gunline list because they saw it and they were like, "Wow, you have a lot of guns that you know hit really hard. I better drop this list with all these shield guards." and Falsi was good enough that I didn't really need to drop him even in matchups where maybe he was slightly favored. And also the tables had quite a bit of terrain. So I didn't really want to drop Gary in some of those matchups. So it was very easy for me to drop drop Falsi here. But when my opponents kept dropping their list with like shield guards everywhere, it really helped because when you drop, when you put shield guards on the table against Falsi, she's like, that's a very useful ability. I, I mean, she basically doesn't care about it. Yeah, similar to Whaley's Karchev and Scar thing. If you can just filter more, more not bad matchups into your your main list, awesome. Then when people are scared Absolutely. of your list, um, yeah. just on that note, I, I need to uh, leave you. But thank you very much, Chance. It was a pleasure traveling with you and uh, you too, Mr. Brian. I'm sorry we didn't get to spend more time, and I'm looking forward to hearing about your experiences on the rest of the podcast. All right, thanks for coming on. Good to see you. Hopefully, we'll see. You at CanCon at the very latest. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, folks. Yep. Chat soon. See ya. Thanks. Cheers, See James. Ya. Well, I suppose that leaves me for the last. Um, I, similarly to both Whaley and Jack, I dropped Erusk basically every matchup. And in a similar case to Jack, actually, two things happened. One is, again, everyone kept dropping their Karcha, their Kador mirrors into me, which I did find a bit weird. And then similarly, everyone usually dropped whatever caster they felt was better into Zakova too. So it was one, no, again, it's uh, one of those things like similar to the Gary problem for them is that they, they kind of overcompensated, but at the same time, it's hard to not overcompensate against someone like say Zakova too. It's kind of like, I would have a similar effect if my second list was hypothetically Kara Sloan in Infernals, right? Yeah, well, they they have even less option against you because if they drop the list that can't play in Discover, they just kind of automatically lose without being able to play the game. So it's not really an option for them. Correct, yeah. So is something you definitely have to watch out for. So it's not something you can, like, unless you're really... Most lists can't be just confident that it can survive that. So usually if you have that in your pair and you've got something designed to fight against it, it's pretty much, in most cases, unless you're really confident in your list, chicken is probably the thing you have to drop, right? Correct. And the other like thing, that's, too, that's is that... That's the whole that... point of Zerkova. 
Yeah, the other thing too is that you, these each of the Zakova matchups are pretty bespoke. So if you haven't played it, you can't kind of just YOLO your way through it because unless you've got an actual hard counter to Zakova, at which point you won't see the table. But if you don't have a hard counter, Zakova probably, even if you are hypothetically favored, you probably still lose. Because that list has a lot of angles it can get you with, and it's not a straightforward, I walk up and shoot you. It does a whole bunch of shit. And I'd usually go into practice games and i did get a lot of practice games in zakova because the last thing i wanted was to like trip over my face and fall on my balls because i'm like i get killed in all these million ways and then fuck up the kill or then clock out somehow um 100%. let's see round one i played into like for my part though yeah round one i played into uh zakova one on one of the french teams um honestly it was a pretty that game was just one atlas chicken on it like to be blunt, because he basically dropped his Doom Reaver list to Zakova 1, and I just dropped a Rusk. And you know it's a bad time when your list dies to AKs. Like, if your list dies to AK guns, I don't mean their punches, just their guns, it's fucking bad. Like, at that point, I was assaulting AKs just to get more shots into Doom Reavers, because why not? And AKs see through a lot of clouds, and that means that your cloud wall can't protect your infantry, because your infantry is getting mauled to death. Um, eventually he moved up Zakova. He actually had the shot to kill me because it turns out Zakova 1's actually gotten quite a lot better in the update. They fixed a lot of her more awkward interactions. So he got a 50-50 to kill an AK and you basically allowed her to twist it around. And now one, that ability that Zakova has is at longer range. It also is uh got a lot more rerolls on account of just general themes you can put it in like between Thamride archons advocates and uh colden lords because he was playing in wolves of winter um you can still do it while engaged so even though although admittedly he killed all the guys next to it if even if he had a guy engaging that ak that ended up getting turned into an arc node it wouldn't have mattered um all this comes into, well, basically, he had a extremely dicey but still possible assassination on Erusk because I had Alexia next to her in this giant bubble, but there were, like, two models that were outside of the bubble that you could have sprayed and still clipped my caster. Um, this is one of those ones. And he would have to clip both at once because they were basically, they were AKs. They weren't actually shield-walled because I'd ran them. Uh, if he accidentally kills them, then assassination's over. If he rolls lights out, then I guess I accidentally die. Maybe. Uh, but he didn't end up going for it, and then in return, I just killed him. <laughs> um, because he basically moved up, and he banked a bit too much on clouds, and Arusk does not give a fuck. He just... I nearly missed the field gun shot to knock her down, but after that, was that was all she wrote. Um, game 2 was a semi-similar story. Again, this time it was Sorcia 1 in Wolves of Winter, and he, did, he this was actually kind of funny, because... He overthought this matchup, and then he realized, wait a minute, I could just play Karchiv, and I probably would have been good into Zakova. I'm like, you're right, he would have been. I had no intention of dropping Zakova this case, because you have Karchiv. Uh, but as a result of that, Karchiv then... Sorry, he was playing Sorcerer 1. Again, I was playing AKs, um, and similar stories, same as she wrote. Sorcerer got some freezing grips off, but with that many units and that much redundancy, I was able to just eventually table him. Um, I think I got up on scenario that one. Game three was, it was certainly one of the funnier games. I think it was my second favorite game of the weekend because I played into Magnus 2. It was the team, uh, the finish. And 
I fucked up this part where I forgot to put guidance on a mortar. So I took the, sh- I was meant to shoot at, um, what was his name? Uh, Malvin, Malvin one. Um, but I saw the shot on Gatsby. So I took it, uh, basically needed nines or something to hit even with bullet dodger, which he put on Gatsby, but I missed it. And then he bullet dodged forward, not in range to die, but in range of everything. I'm like, this is awkward. Uh, but it became more awkward when Magnus walked up and got repoed by Boom Howler 2. Yes, Boom Howler 2. And popped his feet. Mm-hmm. And Gatsby jammed right in my face. <laughs> along with Malvin. I'm like... And then I'm like, he's jammed next to a sprig. And so I'm like, okay, I'll give this a shot. I'm trying to shoot models that aren't Gatsby to flare Gatsby. And I fail the scatters, even with an artillerist reroll. I missed him once and he moves and he dodges. And I thought... This is going to end in freaking tears. It's going to end with Gatsby accidentally dodging the range of my caster and stabbing me to death. So I had to ignore a Gatsby in the middle of my army with bullet dodger. <laughs> I tried my best. Thankfully, his feet wasn't quite deep, deep enough. I had some eliminators in position to run. The scenario was recon, and I specifically put these guys such that they could run. They'd never be caught in feet, and they would never run to contest. So I'd have two turns where I could buy scenario pressure. And he was trying a similar thing on his side, on my side, with his Alexia 1 that he had. But I was able to actually deal damage on feet turn. Again, couldn't kill Gatsby, but I did at least kill Malvin, and he actually got one of his heavies as well. And then from there, it sort of round out of control, because Gatsby and Gatsby and a heavy basically just couldn't deal with a Spriggan of all things. And then since I still had my Spriggan alive and pretty functional, I was finally able to flare Gatsby and kill that fucker. And then, at that point, I was able to roll it into a game. But it was pretty funny to go through. And, like, my opponent actually had a really nice, like, it was a really fun game. And he had a pretty favorable game plan. I had to admire the balls to run it. Uh, freaking Gatsby in my face. Uh, game number four was against the U.S. Um, I played into De- uh, Derek Sundstrom. I can't pronounce his name. But... He basically was playing Vlad 2, and he, funnily enough, did almost exactly the same thing, except with Vlad 2 feeded models. Um, oh yeah, my previous vote was uh, Anti, for what it's worth. Shout out to him. Anyway, uh, so he basically, I kind of fucked this one up. I picked the wrong side of the table for what he had planned. I was fine because I had all these obstructions, so my caster was never in danger of dying. But when he pretty much feeded and ran, I thought, fuck. And uh, fuck turned out to be the thing. I actually was pretty well at clearing. I did pretty well clearing everything initially on his feet turn, but post feet turn, I couldn't kill a demo core, like three demo core, including uh, what's his face, Hammerman, double Hammerman, uh, oh god, Dragadovich to save my life. Um, as a result of that, instead of being able to equalize, because he went up four control points to zero on top of three. Um, and I wasn't only able to, I wasn't, I was only able to score one in return as opposed to actually, I wasn't able to score any. And at that point he's up four control points. He's just got to do one thing, even though I've got stuff in the zones, he could get the center flag and that's all he needed to do really. Um, game five was into the French and this one, because of the way the matchup worked out, basically one of us was going to get bust. And like, I, I was okay with the one being that I ended up playing into Harvey with Irusk. Um, Harbi, Manoth in general is not a faction you can play Zakova into because of the book, believe it or not. Again, 
he dropped the list with the book and the anti-Zakova tech. Unfortunately, this list was quite good, but I basically emulated the plan that my previous two opponents had done. I fucking turbo-jammed him and tried to grind, like, wind it out. Rolled a bit poor to kill an Archon behind a forest, but ended up getting it the next turn anyway. I had a hell of a time killing initiates, and at that point I was thinking, fuck, I should start swapping fire for effect these on these flamethrowers just to burn initiates. Um, eventually, though, I decided, like, eventually the attrition wasn't going my way, and I used a bit too much time on my clock, but after he started doing stuff and trying to push for the attrition and secure the win, I spotted an opportunity. I basically had a minute 30 to roll about six continuous fire checks and or tough rolls <laughs> and then try and kill Harvey with a, a Spriggan, both flaring it with a broken arm and then using its real arm, its real gun to shoot and kill. And then a five for affected guidance, Joe boosted mortar to shoot Harvey from almost 21 inches away to start with and blew her up. And it felt pretty good. Oh, Guys, I'm here. sorry. I have just dialed back in because I forgot to tell you one thing. I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm probably interrupting where you're up to, but I just wanted to say something that I thought was very um, poignant. My, I was talking to my mum and dad after I got back, and uh, Ricky, my my fiance, had mentioned that um, no one really seems to know what I'm talking about when I talk about War Machine, and so. And so one of the questions my mum asked, who obviously did her research, she said, was your Warcaster ever in in trouble of maybe dying? And I was like, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. Well done. That's awesome. She tried. Go, mum. She, she tried. She Apologies. Tried. I'll, I'll leave you to it. I just no, it's That's fine. It's point. funny you say that, James, because I was just reiterating my story about game five where I killed Harvey with like a minute left to go. That was beautiful. It was like watching someone in the Matrix. All right. Thanks, folks. Thanks yeah. for that. Cheers. Uh, yes, don't let your caster die. And then the final game um, was against Matt Nook Waters. It was Canada. And legitimately, because we'd actually played on a league before, we actually just went to the table. We started having a fucking great old time. Um, we actually knew the matchup before anything had done. Like, so we were literally unpacking models and rolling the dice before telling what the matchup was because we knew what it was. It was always going to be Resnick versus Erosk. <laughs> I actually, like, as so the, the the commentator lady, because we were on stream at this point, comes and asks in, and I basically, she goes like, all right, so what's the matchup? I go, Zakovic, wait a minute. <laughs> no, that matchup is just explosion. Ah, yes. Explosion. Uh, explosions i mean it wouldn't even be good if i played zakova 2 i suspect um i guess i actually played this before it helped out because i knew more like resnick's shtick was and this was one thing we saw i hadn't mentioned this cast about one of the little bits of prep we did but basically when we were doing matchups every round we'd have two people it was usually myself and whaley would do the active like okay what are we playing based on our grids and all this sort of shit and i had everyone else look for tables uh, look for stuff they were going to play, especially if they were about to go up. Because this year's WTC was different. Previous WTCs, what had happened was if you lost the, if you basically had the choice between picking three of the five matchups or picking all of the tables, and this time they changed it into every time you didn't pick a, like you got to pick either three tables if you let out first. 
which means that you were going to pick less matchups, or you got to pick two tables, but you got to pick more matchups, which to our mind basically meant that there was no reason to try and pick less matchups because the funny thing was you still got to pick the first table and the third table you got to play on. So if there was a particularly spicy table, then winning the die roll meant that you could go like, okay, cool, Jack, you're up, you're here. This is the ultimate Falcia town, and that wall will go very nicely with everything you got planned. Um, so with this all in mind... Can I, can I, I just play- quickly say something? I will say yeah. that because of Ghostwalk, my list was very good on pretty much every table. So... And I think that was true for most of us um, because we either had Pathfinder everywhere or Ghostly or, you know, stuff like that. So we weren't too limited in which tables we had to play on. Um, yeah. Although one thing I will say to counter your point is that Valsi actually prefers tables without a wall on them because it makes it annoying for her to put her wall down. If that makes sense. <laughs> fair enough. But anyway, continue. No, that's fair. But that was the thing. You also had a good answer to Quicksand because you have Ghostly. And correct. Uh, terrain is basically irrelevant for me, but not for my opponents sometimes. Yeah, like out of all of us, I had the worst mm, relationship with terrain, but that was only if I was playing a Rusk. If I was playing Zakova, it's like okay, terrain is not a, a non-factor once a game. Um, in this particular case, though, this really helped because we knew what the scenario was. It was bunkers. I knew what my opponent's list was almost certainly going to be. It was going to be Heresnik 2. So you better believe that I picked the table, which had all of these obstructions. And then when I lost the die roll, I gave him the side with all the obstructions, such that Resnick's ability to personally threaten me in a Falsia-like fashion, because Resnick now has a lot of similarities to Falsia. The difference is, as usual with Resnick and his main problem, he's on a huge base. That's kind of a problem. Big problem. But otherwise, it is a big yeah. problem. He's also got a victor, which is an issue. So the only piece that can really reach out to weird spots and threaten in melee that isn't, like, like I mean, caster kill or heavy kill stuff was Scourge. And as a result of all of that, I, I was able to do a much more comfortable game. Um, basically, honestly, the Matt McWhorter's game was one of my favorites I've ever played and certainly one of the best games. I, I like that game as a finale to Mark Three, shall we say. Because yes. I don't know if I'll play another Mark III game, and if that was the one that ended on, I couldn't think of any better. But yeah, it was, uh, came down to the wire. Like, I had to... I was obviously going to be down on clock because it was, so I played for the turn seven. I very, very much marshaled my clock as such that I'd have at least a minute for each turn six and seven so that I wouldn't get randomly owned in the event that he had his victor, which I basically couldn't touch until the end of the game. At that point, I didn't really have either the attacks or the inclination to kill it. And my idea was that no matter, even if he firebombs a bunch of my stuff, I have to roll a bunch of tough checks and fire rolls, I would have enough time to do that and still play out a correct turn and contest everything and be ready to finish. Um, so yeah, Bunkers, I basically played the scenario game as best as I could. So I, like, Resnick can, Resnick's bond with Scourge is pretty annoying because it means that if Resnick kills something melee, like, I don't know, a model you move to contest the zone, then Scourge gets a full advance, which often allows Scourge to get into weird spots, which then allows him to, I don't know, like what happened last game we played, kill casters. Um, this time around, though, I'm playing into that. I actually jammed Eliminators, like, the Eliminators to contest. I jammed them against his Victor, so he'd have... If he wanted to dig that one out, he could fucking go for it, right? It'd be an utter shit show to do so inside of his zone. Um, and then, yeah, I just played the long game. Um, 
without going into a full grind that no one would really appreciate, it was a game of just peeling back the men off layers of defense. Eventually you get them. Eventually. Right? We're doing stuff like fire affecting flamethrowers and shooting at initiates who are shield guarding for men at Archon so they take more damage. They were doing stuff like trying to get Alexia to find some souls because everything was getting RFP'd uh, or just getting killed or he'd always pick the sides and do the damage where I couldn't grab the souls. So eventually I had to get the souls from him. Uh, eventually, though, I managed to roll up one of the sides and set itself a point where I'd have a locked win, at which point uh, Matt pretty much went for the kill, which was his only out at that point, and thankfully didn't roll it. And in another WTC <laughs> repeat, this is another WTC where I've expected my game to be the decider, and then James walks around, or whoever walks around and says, oh, don't worry, it's over, we've won, we're up 3-1, you can, you can just go home now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, great, thanks. Nice. Uh, yeah. So those guys were under time constraints, um, James and Whaley. Uh, Brian, you're not under time constraints, and we have a whole bunch of questions we'd ask you guys. We asked, uh, well, ask them, but we'll ask you. So you got, you had a bit of a different travel plan, and your team certainly had a different path. How did it go? Uh, so we pretty, I think a couple of the guys went in a little before us, I think. So my team was made up of uh, Josh Bates, who was playing Crucible Guard, we had Dimitri, or Dimmy, who was playing Menoth. There was myself playing Kador. We had Alex playing Circle, and we had Ian playing Trolls. Uh, Ian and Alex, I think, were arrived in Europe on the Sunday, and they stayed there a night ahead. I think Josh was hanging out in Europe for a week leading up, just doing his own thing. Uh, and then Dimmy and I pretty much rocked up on the Monday leading up to the event. Uh, we got together. We started playing games. Uh, with you guys, uh, we had that amazing Chris trivia night. That was one of the most enjoyable and most frustrating trivia experience I've ever experienced. Uh, that was that was a pretty frustrating. How? Chris. Chris, the last round you decided that there were you were going to add an extra round, and then you decided that Pete couldn't participate, and then he left because you were going to participate instead, and then he left, and then you called him back. And then you proceeded to knock yourself out of the first round of question that you asked the group. Oh, right, that one. <laughs> it was all yeah, it was like pretty 9 bad. 9 p.m. And we had been planning to start the thing at like 5. And it started two hours late. And none of us had had dinner at that point. I think yeah. we were all just a little like, that was, that was, that was a, a pretty uh, special experience that I probably won't ever forget. So I appreciate that you set all that up for us. But uh Wow, All right, wow, food next time, food before. But yeah, that's pretty hard to organize when half the people just disappear on you and you're like, I guess we're now starting at seven, you know, great. Right. <laughs> um, so we had that amazing week leading up. On that same night, we caught up with the Canadians who had flown in that day. Uh, so we were able to do drinks and that. And we went on uh, a couple of the guys from my team and Sam from uh, Magpies ended up walking around uh Brussels at night looking for waffles with a Canadian uh, named Dave. And we had no idea where we were fucking going and ended up not finding anything. <laughs> so just wandered around until realizing that every store was shutting as we spoke. Uh, something close to midnight. So that was pretty amusing. Uh, shout out to the Canadian teams. They were pretty amazing to hang out and drink with. And uh, 
every night that we got to see them. So that was pretty awesome. Uh, speaking of the event itself, our team went three and three, but we had a bit of a rocky road there. Um, <laughs> for myself, we first played against Wales. Uh, I played into, uh, I got bust essentially, because they're like, well, Brian, we need you to take the, uh, it's probably somewhere like an orange or a red matchup. It's not very good for me. I got pushed into uh, a Wormwood player. Uh, but strangely enough, my Wormwood games were some of my most well-played games because it was one of the few things on this list of matchups that I had actually played. So that was pretty amusing. So I actually was able to win that first game into Wormwood having played into James's version a couple times and uh, Alex as well. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. We were able to go up that round. I don't really want to go into like a huge spiel on each game. My memory is not great and uh, I feel like no one wants to listen to that. Uh, third, second game we played into Finland, the same team you guys played. I actually played against uh, Moops' opponent, Taro. Uh, he played his Gatsby 3 into my Karchev 2. I pretty much dropped Karchev 2 into all of my matchups about 1 and we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, I played Karchev 2. This is a game that was heavily in my favor, I believe. Uh, but uh, the turn I went in, I took up too much time. And then he played a very good, tight game that was able to monopolize on that. Uh, me being down on clock and was able to actually pull out a clock win. So he played a very, very good, clean game. That was pretty amazing. He was a great opponent. Uh, my third round, we played into... We went down that round. Uh, the next round we played into America Artemis, where I played into a K2D2 mare, but he, Travis uh, was playing Cricks. Um, it was, again, something I had kind of seen before. It was a pretty different build to what I'd seen with Whaley's lists, but I was pretty confident in the matchup. Uh, my dice agreed with me. Uh, halfway through the game, we were talking about... We were, so we were all given to these WTC dice at the beginning of the event, remember? Well, there mm-hmm. was some rumors going around that those dice rolled pretty good. And so I was rolling pretty good in this game. And so me and Travis were talking about it. And then I proceeded, he proceeded to put a Wraith engine into the middle of my table. He looks at my uh, my side of the board and goes, that's a Marauder, isn't it? And I'm like, yes, yes, it is. So I proceeded to give it magical <laughs> oh, weapons, uh, charge it, and then proceed to smack it with like a quad six. I think you so remember did, this because I remember so I you offered to like, re-roll it. <laughs> yes, and that, that was pretty, so I was like really frustrated because it was like such an amazing roll, and we had literally just been talking about how amazing these stupid dice are. So I felt like, oh my god, I feel so bad. These dice are obviously like cranked or something, and he's just like, oh my god, this is like amazing. And I'm just like, oh my god, I'll re-roll. I, I swear that this isn't this isn't should happen. This is like most like obscene roll I could possibly imagine in the most obscene potential like placement. Because it's this Weapon Master POW-16 going into a battle engine. It was just... Uh, he said, no, just keep the roll. But we proceeded to swap dice throughout the rest of the game. So I would use my WC dice <laughs> on my turn. And then he would use them for the game. Uh, in his turn, he proceeded to then have a Desecrator crit like five times in a row. Nice. Oh, oh that dear. was insane. Uh, he did not do very well in the damage roll. So he did not actually end up killing the heavy he was engaged with. So there is that sort of... The dice weren't actually cranked. They were just uh, rolling really well that game. Uh, it was an amazing, fun game, but like I kind of predicted ahead of time, and having had his Wraith engine given to me pretty early, I was able to uh, go up on that game. 
so that yep. put our team at two and one at the end of the day. In day four, day and day two, we started out against Team Apollo. It's a, another one of the American teams. I played against Ryan. I dropped. He was playing Kalissa and Gorshid for. I thought he was going to drop Kalissa because it's a really strong gun line. I think it could play into Karchev. Um, but he recognized that my Vlad three list was an anti-gun line list and ended up dropping Gorshade four. So I ended up l- dropping the wrong list. I also then selected table, selected the wrong table to be playing on, considering I was playing against <laughs> a Gorshade four player. So he was just able to put down like very, very uh, efficient cloud walls with all the forests on the side of the table. And because I was playing Vlad, I chose the side of the table that was less terrain heavy. And I did not understand the matchup very well. I This is just my worst games were played against things that I hadn't really seen a lot on the table. And I played really well even into bad matchups onto things that I had actually played a lot into. Uh, and that's just showed there he played a very good game and I just wasn't being a very uh, informed opponent. So uh, he was able to take an easy win off me. Uh, round, or our team went down. Zero five that turn, unfortunately. This is when we realized that uh, Josh was not doing well. So he proceeded. We found out later that yeah, he had in, gotten food poisoning and uh, was not feeling well. So he would play his first two games and then immediately disappear into our room and not to be seen. Uh, the poor guy was definitely ill. Uh, we played into Poland the next round. I think we went down 1-4, maybe 2-3. I was playing against Marson. He was a very, very good opponent. Uh, he was playing a Magnus two list into me, and he was able to just beat me out of scenario very, very efficiently. Um, if Karchev had just been like an inch closer, I might have actually been able to kill him, but I was not and was not able to move closer. So that was just unfortunate. And uh, I was surprised to see how uh, good that feat turn has become throughout Mark three, considering it's like a 10 inch easy threat range now. It's pretty good. Mm. Uh, the last round we played against France, we actually went up this one. Josh uh, conceded his game early on, and uh, they were able to get one win off of us from just through that because he was just dead at this point, poor guy. Um, and I played into Wormwood again. I did lose this time. It was a very close game, but I was just not able to keep up on the scenario with the lack of solos that I could easily sacrifice to some of the flags. So we were going back and forth on scenario. He was just a bit up, but uh, I also in the, we were playing very fast, very uh, very clean. And there was a couple times where, in the heat of the moment, I had forgotten to unstationary the devastator in the list. So it was not so <laughs> the turn that I really needed to put it into a zone. I had not shaken the stationary in the uh, control phase. Which <laughs> Very unfortunate, but that was a game I felt like I could have won. There was an assassination on the table where his caster was camping nothing, and I had a Spriggan, like, right there, uh, and proceeded to not roll the dice required to kill him. So that was just unfortunate. Uh, But it was a very clean game, very cool game, very fun game. I felt like I played it very well, with the exception of those uh, missed. Um, Stationary. Uh, I feel like I played well in the games, but I feel like I could have uh, taken advantage more of the uh, practice games leading up because I, again, ended up doing worse into the matchups that I just hadn't had as much experience into and did much better into what was considered a red matchup. But uh, uh, yeah. I understood it because I had played it. So there you go, guys. It's better to 
play your games and understand them rather than just theory craft it and expect you to do yourself to do well. Uh, but yeah, it was an amazing event. Um, got to hang out with a lot of cool people, a lot of amazing opponents. Uh, so shout outs to Will, Taro, Travis, Ryan, Marson, and Kevin. If any of you guys actually listen to this, uh, thanks for all the great games. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, if you guys listen to this, I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm yeah. Lucky. Um, yeah. Actually, Josh. Like, I remember seeing Josh and after on round four when we were wrapping up, and he was literally face down in the table. He tried watching our games and was face down, just trying not to die. And I, yeah, I heard some stories about how much painting he did in the um in your room. Yeah. And uh, I know Whaley won't mind me telling this, but almost he was almost matched by how much Whaley did <laughs> after oh, yeah. we'd won. Oh, uh, shout out like, to Klaus who was taking care of Josh. That was really nice of him, and he made sure that uh, uh, Klaus that poor guy survived that day. Yeah. Speaking of uh, taking care of people, uh, Jack, could you tell me about what happened with Whaley on the night after the WTC ended? Uh, he had too much drink, and let's leave it at that. I know that you, you're the sober one. You came back into our room and you found, uh, yeah, you, you were the nurse of that because our, car, our other nurse, uh, Batesy, was uh, predisposed. Although you did wake him up to check that he wasn't dead. Yes. Was that the, uh, was that the Sunday night or the Monday night? Sunday. Sunday. Sunday night. Okay. Uh, Monday night, actually, we all headed up to Barcelona, and without harping on about how good Barcelona is, Barcelona is fucking amazing. So that was just a really nice way to wind down after, well, after a job well done, I suppose. That was yeah, good time there. Got some decent food in, finally. <laughs> uh, Brussels, for what it's worth, uh, excellent place for beers and muscle. Like, we actually felt like me and Nads actually found immediately after one of our nights, we had just basically the worst fucking restaurant ever we could find muscles in. And then in the morning afterwards, Nads, Nads like, directed me to a place we'd seen in passing but was closed because they only did lunch service, and that was the best muscles I think I've ever had in my life. So good with the bad. Muscles and Brussels, guys. Yeah, well, this one had, like, the proper seasoning, and more importantly, it didn't take, like, an hour and a half to come out because the... Yeah, the, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, You know, when you're... When the, like, restaurant manager trying to pick up chicks on tinder than he is at like making sure that people are getting fed you know that things are great <laughs> and yeah that was uh the wtc in a nutshell um it was a Shout really nice to, way to uh, round it up the belgian guys who organized the whole thing it was oh my god you guys did a, yeah you guys did a fantastic fucking job and when i heard about the specifics of like how quickly you guys got a venue together again after what happened because the Polish event got cancelled on short notice because basically the hotel was literally getting demolished and they were able to turn it or get a event together within a week. I'm fucking impressed and I'm so glad because you guys gave us the chance to actually do this trip in the first place. And believe me, after three years of being stuck in our country, it was nice to get out and nice to see all the people again, all the lovely people abroad. 100%. And now I'm ready to focus on Mark IV. I'm just waiting for rules to drop. 
uh, as fate would have it, literally the day I landed, got home, I within like an hour or two, my Gen Con Mark IV battle box arrived at my apartment. So yep. I can't I can't imagine a clearer sign. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we'll probably do some casts and stuff on, like, our thoughts on Mark IV, especially as we get more rules, because, frankly, it has been long overdue, and that has been a factor in one of the reasons we haven't really released an episode. Um, but, yeah, that will come later. For now, we basically say adieu to Mark III, and, look, it's given me... It's pretty much treated me about as well as anything in this game could possibly treat me. It's been nice. But... Looking forward to... Uh... Mark II is great. Looking forward to Mark IV and looking forward to playing with all you guys again. Yeah, it should be good fun. Uh, any random hot takes you guys have on the WTC before we close it out? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've, uh, I've spoken my piece. Uh, Everything is off the top the tip of my tongue as far as I can tell. Fair enough, fair enough. I think it would be interesting to see Warfare Weekend as the finale, but to me, WTC felt like as good an end as any, and I'm grateful well, for, for us what... Australians, it's done. Yeah, it's one and done. certainly has. I'm looking forward to, because I got in the order with in on the order with Brian, I'm looking forward to picking up uh, Katarina and actually getting some, like... Well, after I played some Zakova... Uh, against Zakova 1, I was like, man, I really want to play that caster. She's gotten a lot better. And then Katarina is kind of like Zakova, except you can give her arc nodes with freezing grip. I'm like, all right, I'm fucking in. Let's go. It's Zorkova. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for listening to us. I'm sorry it's been a while, but honestly, I think we've been knee-deep in prep, and with Mark 4 and stuff being released, it's uh, felt a bit, didn't feel right to put out a cast just talking about a game system that was, well, an edition that was about to see its way out. But we figured nothing else. We can also talk about the WTC. We've had a good run this year. And yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic team. So shame Batesy couldn't get on, so we couldn't have more um, random anecdotes. And honestly, I think Batesy's trip was quite interesting. And by trip, I mean his, like, uh, the way he arrived at Grimkin. And fuck, the amount of practice he made into... He played originally... So, Batesy, I'll go I'll go very brief on him. He played uh, Heretic and Dreamer. He played, in his own words, Heretic for all the easy slam dunks and Dreamer for all the hard work. Uh, but it was interesting why that was the case, because he originally just played it almost as a joke. Like, um, his Heretic... Fuck, fuck all this shit. I'm going to put Heretic on the table with 30 dread rots. And then he kept playing it, and then it was like, actually, this list has, like, fucking game. And then I think the favorite Batesy quote was one of the guys was telling him in one of the games, after looking into Heretics, like, oh, yeah, you're never going to cast Gallows. And he just started laughing. Because, <laughs> oh, boy, that guy loves casting Gallows. And, my goodness, Defiled Archons, well, it turns out, when, one, you have Lord Tunglick, who can also cast Gallows after walking and jumping. That's pretty good. And when you can cast Gallows at range 13, again, very good. So, yeah. He had a pretty good... He had an excellent weekend himself. Um, yeah, your team yeah, did incredibly was, well. And uh, you're all yeah, they did. your game. It was pretty incredible to, unfortunately, not watch, but uh, experience. Yeah. It'd be nice to, like, there was some of, I think, our finest hours. It was good to see. Apart from Jack. Jack just to sit there and look like a disappointed Asian dad. And, like, why haven't you won the game already? 
that's nothing new. Yeah, nothing new. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We'll probably be back with more content soon. I reckon we'll probably do something once the like lists. Uh, well, I wouldn't say lists, but the prototype rules start dropping, and we get some I'm, more info I'm on the actual models themselves. Later this week or next week at this point, because they said end of October, and the thirty first yep. of October is like not n- next Monday, but the Monday after. So there's really only this week and next week to drop it. Yeah, correct. It's been kind of fun looking at the new stuff, um, especially things like Warjax and the new relations of how things and just really trying to think about how Iraq works, because believe it or not, for the lead up, it was just like, OK, I really can't focus on this. Like, I, I can't focus at all because I've got to deal with all the stuff that does exist right now. But now that Mark three is over, it'll be interesting to start the game again. I'm looking forward to it. 100 percent. Yeah, looking forward to playing with you guys. Yep. Uh, right. For what it's worth, it's a final thing. No, because did you see Doug's... Uh, like, Doug had a couple of models he was showing us for the low, low price of some German beers. Uh, did you see I some of them? Not. Because I didn't get to see... Okay, well, no. I got told about one of them, which was, like, one of the models, which is, I think, why James now might be all in on Dusk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was said it was, like, some fucking cool-ass, like, walker. The lich with a like a giant ass sword and a star sword. I'm like, all right, fair enough. You have my attention now. Yeah, I heard I heard good things, but I didn't see it myself. Mm-hmm. Well, that will be something to, to catch you next. That. Yeah, and me too. Oh my god, too. can't stop talking over each other. You can tell this podcast <laughs> needs to end now. All right, we should. All right, signing off, guys. Good night. Good night. See ya.